The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, it's me again. The vicar's here, what more? So uh, it's very good to be with you again. And uh, we're looking at those verses which were uh, just very well read. Um, Just very quickly, 1 Corinthians is sort of a wonderful letter. I think it's, uh, uh, over the last few years, it's just been certain passages or chapters which have been preached on, but, but we miss so much richness. It's a wonderful, wonderful letter. And if I can say the difference, like, between... Paul's letter to the Galatians and the Corinthians is quite different. In Galatians, he is angry with the people in Galatia. He's angry because they're looking at a different gospel. In Corinthians, he's probably frustrated with the Corinthians. They're wonderful people, but they're a bit dopey, and they've not sort of, they're not growing to maturity. They're falling for everything that's going on around, but they sort of need to grow in maturity. So he's more frustrated. So it's a wonderful letter. And I've just uh, had a look at this uh, passage again. It's a wonderful passage. Let me pray. (coughs) May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord God, our creator and redeemer. Amen. Well, I heard a sermon a few years ago by a minister, an Anglican minister, who was actually a very gifted speaker and a very good, he was a very good storyteller. He was actually well known for that. And in this sermon, which he was preaching, uh, and it was a special occasion really but he, was, he, was, he took a passage from the Old Testament and with his knowledge of Jewish customs and festivals he sort of weaved this, this passage uh, to say what he wanted it to say what he wanted him to say it was very skillfully done it was very interesting, it was engaging it was even exciting very dramatic because he's a very dramatic speaker but it had nothing to do with the passage which, was, which he was actually teaching on. It had nothing, very, next to nothing to do with it. And the disappointing thing for me was that the Christians there, and there were many ministers there, it was that kind of meeting, most Christians thought it was wonderful. They said to me after, wasn't that a great sermon? It's a wonderful preacher. And I just sort of you know, put my head down in disappointment. And there was no discernment about the passage itself from those people in the congregation. And sadly, that's not unusual. Much preaching today is like that. And this kind of thing was happening in the church at Corinth, which was causing division in the church when you read read, uh, uh, Paul's letter. And Paul, in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians, has been tackling this issue about what should be preached and what isn't being preached in that church. And in these verses, chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, he reminds them about what he first preached when he went to Corinth and what they must get back to. And he tells them three things about his preaching when he was with them. What he preached, how, and why. Well, let's have a look at it. 
So what did he preach? Verse 1, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. The Greek actually says, I, for my part, didn't come with eloquence and superior wisdom, meaning some preachers did come preaching like that. Why did some preachers like that come preaching with eloquence and superior wisdom? Why? Well, because they were influenced by their culture. You see, Greek society loved good orators. They loved clever, witty, flowery, very wordy public speakers. And those people were admired in society, even idolized. There was no television, no radio. And so good orators were sort of entertainment. And the cleverer the philosophy or the cleverer the ideas that they brought and the more eloquently that they spoke, the more popular they were. It's very hard for us in the 21st century in our culture to realize the influence of these great Greek orators. They influenced all parts of society, politics, business, the legal profession, philosophy, religion, all of it. They say that Winston Churchill and Lloyd George many years ago were great orators and they influenced British Parliament. They influenced British society. Well, that's what these Greek people were like. That's what they were like. Rhetorical oratory was powerful, and Greeks were obsessed with it. And this oratory sort of came into the church in Corinth. Christians wanted this witty, clever oratory in their sermons. But Paul knew that A, it wouldn't convert people to true faith, only true preaching would. Paul didn't preach that way, yet they were converted. And B, Christians wouldn't grow to spiritual maturity. They wouldn't grow in their faith and their understanding and their more, and more love for their Heavenly Father. They wouldn't grow in those things. In fact, the opposite would happen. In chapter 3, verse 1, uh, yeah, in, in verse 1 of, uh, of Corinthians, he's still on about the same issue. And he says, he says to the Corinthians, I can't address you as spiritual but worldly. I can only address you as mere infants in Christ. Some of them had been Christians for years. But they were still spiritually immature. They were still spiritual babes, which, verse 3, their arguing, bickering, and boasting demonstrated that they were immature. And Paul says, I didn't come with this eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. So how did he come? What did he preach? Verse 2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> Paul didn't preach to entertain people. He didn't preach to show how clever he was or to manipulate people. He didn't sort of preach to whip them up so they could get excited. He preached the testimony about God, which was, chapter 1, verse 23, Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he called in verse 18, the message of the cross. Now, of course, that's not all that Paul preached when he was in Corinth. We know from this letter that he taught on Christian love and spiritual gifts and marriage in chapter 7. He, talked about the, he taught about the resurrection in chapter 15 and the Lord's Supper and Christian giving and evangelism. He taught all those things, but it all centered in and followed out of Jesus dying on a cross to save us. Clever, witty, flowery, exciting, storytelling sermons with little content 
may appeal to self-centered, pleasure-seeking people in that culture as they do in the church today. And it will also appeal to immature Christians as it did in Greek culture. But it doesn't sit with the cross of Calvary. Paul preached the simple, biblical, cross-centered gospel. And that's what preachers today and churches today need to preach and to get back to if they've left that. Secondly, how Paul preached. That is, his manner in presenting the gospel and the result. In verse 3 he says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. What does Paul mean by that? Well, weakness here does not mean physical weakness. It was more emotional. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says things about himself. He says he felt inadequate for the task that he'd been given. His physical appearance isn't impressive, he said. He doesn't have a powerful presence. He's a tent maker. He's been persecuted where he's gone. He also didn't preach like those popular orators uh, of the day. He didn't preach to butter up people. He preached the simple gospel, which was hard work, mentally and spiritually exhausting. All those things from a human perspective are often considered, were often considered in that society weakness. They are today. And so Paul says he comes in weakness. But why in fear and trembling? What did Paul fear? Well, it's not easy to explain. But it's a spiritual fear. It's a spiritual battle. Preaching is always a spiritual battle. You see, for the gospel to succeed in Corinth or anywhere, Paul knows that he must not rely on his own skills or his own abilities. He must trust God. And for a man of Paul's intellects and skills and ability and sinfully wanting people to admire him because he's a good preacher, it's difficult to trust God. Paul, by nature, is a gifted, intelligent, persuasive man. He's an academic. And it's difficult to put those things aside and trust God with the simple gospel. To present the true gospel, he must resist the temptation to say and do things which will flatter him in front of people. Or get, or get people to follow him. He mustn't get people to follow him by his own persuasive skills. He must resist, resist these temptations to push self and come in humility. Weak in self and trusting in God alone. Which, as I say, is hard for a gifted, able, intellectual like Paul. So he fears that he won't trust God. It's important to see that. Any true preacher knows what Paul is speaking about here. This spiritual struggle. The temptation to flatter self so that people will admire him. I say again, true preachers knows that temptation. The temptation to flatter self and want people to admire him. Well, that's Paul. His fear is that he won't trust God. On top of that, Paul also knows the power and the pull of of Corinthian culture. He knows that the many beliefs and false religions in that culture are powerful to suck people in. And Paul, as intelligently gifted as he is, hasn't the power to to defeat those things spiritually. He can't do it. 
Even with the human ability he's got, he cannot do it. But God can. There's only one thing that can break through all those deeply ingrained beliefs, cultures, practices, superstitions and traditions in that culture. Only one thing, and it's not Paul's ability. It's the gospel. Only the clear, unpolluted gospel. And he knows the temptation to try and water it down or to put frills around it to make it seem more attractive like the culture wants. And although he knows that the the frills won't break through, it is tempting because that's what people want. That's what they like. They like exciting oratory. And he fears that he'll move from the simple gospel and preach what tickles people's ears, what people want to hear. Every true preacher who steps into the pulpit on a Sunday morning knows exactly what Paul is battling with here. Fear of flattering self. Depending on one's own skills and one's own persuasive powers, on clever sermons or inviting or interesting, exciting stories, rather than praying for conversions and trusting God's simple gospel to do the work. That's what Paul means by coming in fear and trembling. It is a spiritual battle. And what was the result of Paul preaching that way? Verse 4. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's the result of true preaching, a demonstration of the Spirit's power, which doesn't, by the way, mean miracles or healings, etc., etc. I I say that because I heard a preacher once say that preaching without miracles and without healings was only half the gospel. And he used this verse to justify it. So he said that Paul preached and then there was miracles and healings like the book of Acts which was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You may have heard that. No, that's not what Paul means here. Nothing like what he means. He's talking about the results of true preaching. What happened when Paul preached the gospel in fear and trembling when he was in Corinth? What happened? Well, the Christians were converted And a wonderful, loving church fellowship began. Yes, it started going haywire for some reasons, but a loving church fellowship began. Their conversion, their changed lives as individuals, and their changed lives as a church were a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And it's the same today. Do you want to see a demonstration of the Spirit's power? Look around this room. You, me, Christians, our conversion, our faith, this church fellowship and its life are a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Believe me, I would never have become a Christian but for God's power. My life would never have changed 40-something years ago if it wasn't for the power of God. I would never keep faith day after day but for God's power. I'm too weak. I'm too gullible in this society. I'm too easily persuaded by philosophical ideas. I'm too e- I too easily get into the cultural garbage which keeps coming at us, whether it's atheism, universalism, all religions are the same-ism. I haven't the power to combat those things. People would batter my arguments down. 
regarding Christianity, regarding faith. I just couldn't keep faith if it wasn't for God's power. Even with God's power, my faith is often hanging by a fingernail. I often have doubts and questions. I couldn't persevere. Neither could you. But you do. You persevere. In the face of an unbelieving society that gets more anti-Christian, you continue in your faith. When your friends, even family, don't believe as you do and find it difficult, you continue in your faith. When the hits come in your life, when the trials come and the hurts and the grief and the struggles and the tragedies come, you continue in your faith. Yes, it is a struggle, but you continue. You continue in the face of your own failures and temptations. When the doubts come, you keep going. And that, brothers and sisters, is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He brought you to faith. He strengthened you to live that faith. He keeps you and he will bring you home. That is God's power. So do you follow the sequence? When the true gospel is preached without flowery embellishment or exciting stories, mostly about me and my wonderful faith, when that happens... Or when you try to show off one's cleverness or intellect. And without emotionally manipulating people or adding things or the opposite. Not preaching what's unpopular. Preaching on judgment and sin and hell what the Bible teaches. When the testimony about God, the gospel is preached. Jesus Christ crucified for our sin. And when the preacher trusts God and not their own skills. God will bless it. Souls will be saved. You will see God's power at work in people's lives. That's the sequence. No, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen quickly. God is never in a hurry. And in one sense, the results are not our concern. That's God's territory. Our concern is to be faithful in hearing and faithful in preaching the word of God. Thirdly, Why did Paul preach this way and not as others did? Verse 5. So that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom but on God's power. Rest on in this context means grounded in. The basis of their faith. If their faith had been grounded in men's wisdom on the preacher's persuasive talks or threats or manipulation then it's unlikely to be true faith and it may not last. Or... They will remain spiritually immature, just like the Corinthians did. And it's the same today. If your faith and my faith is to persevere and to grow and be alive and healthy and mature and productive spiritually, it has to be true faith. It must not be grounded on, nor continue to rest on, man's wisdom. It must be, verse 4, on God's power. It has to be. We need care today in the church in New Zealand, as we do in much Western countries today. Much preaching is centered on man's wisdom in different ways. Liberalism particularly, and I say ism on the end of that word, liberalism, a philosophy, liberalism. And particularly... Preachers not accepting much of the Bible truth and picking and choosing on what they preach on and what they don't preach on. And it's destroying churches. 
You don't need me to tell you that. Churches are emptying. Most churches in New Zealand are emptying, dying. That's liberalism. But evangelicals, us, we need care today. As we try to make our message more attractive in some ways. Or as we say, you've got to make it more relevant. You've got to make it more attractive. And so the gospel message today for evangelicals is often, not always, but often, God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. That's often the gospel message. Or, oh, you've got no purpose in life, it's not fulfilled, uh, you're not satisfied, and you're always, you don't have peace inside. It said, so come to God and you'll be fulfilled and you'll live a happier life. You'll have peace in your life. You can hand your problems over to God, etc., etc. These things are often the gospel today. And they are often the ground of people's faith. But you see, ultimately, those messages are centered on self. They're not centered on God. They're not centered on Christ. They're centered on self. I read some time ago that a famous rugby league player became a Muslim for those very reasons. I heard him speak. He gave an article in the paper. He said life wasn't very good for him. Life was going nowhere. There was no purpose in life. He said, but I I became a Muslim. Now it's great. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I've got things to do. And and yet sometimes evangelicals often present the gospel in similar ways. No. Those things may be true for a Christian. Of course they must be. But they're not the ground of our faith. We are sinful people. We have offended God. But God's Son, Jesus Christ, came and took the punishment, the death that we deserve. He died on a cross to save us. And when we put our faith in Him, we are saved from the judgment of God. And we come to know God. And we come to love God. And we come to serve Him. And we come to love Christ. Now and forever. True faith is founded in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Brothers and sisters, please pray that that would always be the center of our preaching. And ask God to raise up more preachers who can preach the true gospel. Not with flowery things. Not with persuasive talks. But with the true gospel. And preach sincerely. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that this is the true gospel. And we thank you for the faith that you've given us. We ask you, Heavenly Father, that you would please raise up preachers, preachers and livers of the gospel. Raise them up for the coming generation, we pray. And we pray that you would bless the preachers of today, those who are preaching the true gospel. Strengthen them, Father, we pray, with some of the struggles they have internally in themselves and struggles from outside. Strengthen them, we pray. And we pray that, as always, it's our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, who will be glorified and honoured. In his name we pray. Amen.